Hello, and welcome back to Pan Am, a podcast about Paris. I'm Amber, and last time we delved into the magical world of alchemy, the search for the Philosopher's Stone and the secret to eternal life. But believe it or not, in Paris, it is quite possible to become immortal. In fact, there are 40 immortals here right at this very moment. So come with me as we explore the cloak and dagger, or should I say cloak and sword, world of the Académie Française and the mystery of the haunted chair. But what is the Académie Française, I hear you ask? Well, in 1635, Cardinal Richelieu, he of musketeer fame, established the Academy with the aim of keeping the French language pure and standardising it, eliminating all those nasty dialects. Forty members, known as the Immortals, so named because once elected they serve for life, were charged with this task. The regulations laid down by Cardinal Richelieu stipulated that the principal function of the Academy shall be to work with all possible care and diligence to give our language certain rules and to render it pure, eloquent and able to deal with the arts and sciences, which they still do to this very day. Each Thursday morning, the 15 or so members of the Dictionary Committee convene around an oval table as their predecessors have done for centuries, and they proceed to work word by word to decide what is and what is not acceptable French. The first edition took 56 years to complete, and as soon as they reach Z, they start all over again from the beginning. In the nearly 400 years since they have been around, produced nine versions of the dictionary. They are the go-to reference for anything pertaining to the French language, including spelling, conjugation and liaison. And by liaison, I do not mean the dangerous kind, although the French do like those too. You can find them at the Institut de France, opposite the Louvre, where they've been for the last 200 years or so since Napoleon moved them from the Louvre. So let's go and find out more. Cité. Cité. Now I'm afraid we're going to walk for a little bit to get to the Academy, which is situated at number 23 Quai Conti in the 6th arrondissement. But why are we walking so far? Let's look at a map of Paris. Line 4, the second busiest line in Paris, goes from north to south and crosses the River Seine. But if you look, you'll notice it doesn't go in a straight line. In fact, there are a few different kinks and changes in direction along the route. But we're interested at what happens when it gets to Châtelet, just before the Seine River. Line 4 was actually the first metro to ever cross the river. And in 1905, when construction was underway, this posed some serious logistical problems. How did they cross the river? How could they make a tunnel go underneath? The engineers came up with an ingenious method. They decided to freeze the ground to make it easier to drill through. But what has this got to do with our story? Well, I'm getting there. The original plan would have taken Line 4 right underneath the Institut de France. However, the 40 old men who were cogitating within refused point-blank to be disturbed by such newfangled things as transport of thousands of Parisians and forced the metro to reroute, and instead it goes via Saint-Michel and Cité which, to be honest, are handier anyway. But it speaks of their power and clout then, as indeed now. Now, when you finally arrive, okay, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, Paris is not that big, it didn't take us that long to get there, but nonetheless, when you finally arrive, you will find yourself in front of this lovely building, designed by Laveau, who would later go on to work on Versailles, 
is a sort of hybrid of Baroque and classical styles, with its most recognisable feature being the coupole. A lot of people think that it's home only to the Académie Française because it's the most famous, but in fact five different academies, the Académie Française, the Académie des Inscriptions et Belles Lettres, the Académie des Sciences, the Académie des Beaux-Arts, and the Académie des Sciences Morales et Politiques make up the Institute. It's also home to the Bibliothèque Mazarin, which is the oldest public library in France. The Institute defines itself as the protector of arts, literature and science and has had its home here since 1795. It's like a beautiful secular temple housing the most sacred things to the French people and the holy of holies, of course, the Académie Française, the very place where the French language is protected. past, they may have been battling with local dialects, but today the immortals are often found grappling with the ever-increasing influx of their number one enemy, English. With the rise of technology, they have the arduous task of finding alternatives to words such as things like email, courriel, spam, pourriel, weekend, vacancel, or startup, jeune pousse, to give you but a few examples. If you'd like to find more, head to their website where they have pages and pages of what not to say. However, their efforts are often rewarded with mixed success, especially with younger people who like to use anglicisms and others that accuse the academy of being a bit out of touch. It's a fascinating subject, the curation and protection of language, and I personally feel that language is a living thing and there's always room for new words, but this is a different subject, so let's move on with our story. I would just say in the defence of the Academy that I often find myself in full support of them. I don't mind if a French person says email, that at least is a word, but the French love nothing more than butchering the beautiful English language and making up words which are neither French nor English. Footing, for example, is their word for jogging, which does not exist. No one has ever asked their hairdresser for a brushing. And why is a pressing somewhere you take your clothes to be cleaned? I could go on, but I shall leave it there. Maybe that is why they elected Sir Michael Edwards to the Academy, who is, wait for it, British. Maybe in an attempt to keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. He took his spot on chair number 31 in 2013 to help the French fight the good fight and stamp out all those English words. And he did so with all the pomp and circumstance that goes with the role. Now, if you thought being called an immortal and sitting in a beautiful Baroque sort of castle felt a bit Harry Potter, well, it gets better. The immortals are expected to wear the traditional habit vert, green clothes, which consist of a long black cloak embroidered with leafy green botanical motifs and accessorised with an elaborate ceremonial sword and cocked hat. These are bespoke garments which are hand-embroidered with delicate needlework and are made by the very top fashion houses. The sword should reflect aspects of the person's life through inscriptions and designs. Most members have pieces that have been custom made by jewelers such as Cartier. Needless to say, this costs a pretty penny in the region of about 60 grand for the outfit and swords can be even more pricey. Traditionally, wealthy patrons have formed a committee to raise funds for gifting these items to new members. Many astonishing swords have been commissioned, but it would be hard to top the one that Cartier crafted in 1955 for the late French writer Jean Cocteau. 
It was designed by Cocteau himself, of course, and featured the main themes of his artistic universe. The profile of Orpheus, his muse, traced on the hilt, while the pommel was crowned by an ivory version of Orpheus's lyre, adorned with a 2.84 carat emerald contributed by Coco Chanel herself. The crossguard was in the form of a stick of charcoal, bringing to mind his drawings, while on the scabbard an image of the Palais Royal alluded to Cocteau's home there. More recently, Simone Veil, who entered the Academy in 2008, was given a sword reflecting her life and work, including the number which was indelibly stamped on her arm, 78651, and the name of the concentration camp where she was detained by the Nazis. On the blade, the French motto Liberté, Égalité, Fraternité and the European motto Uni dans la Diversité. The hilt of the sword was formed by two shaking hands, on one the tree of life with emerald leaves and on the other flames of the crematory and ruby drops of blood. A scales represents justice as Veille was a former magistrate and another symbolised medicine from her time of the Minister of Health. Why they have a sword, I really don't know. Maybe it's for times when things get really heated round the dictionary table. I like to imagine furious octogenarians waving their sword and crying out things like, Call yourself immortal, Pierre! We'll see about that! Before lunging across the table to attack their opponent with their sword over serious issues about what words can be included or perhaps whether iPhones should be masculine or feminine. Speaking of masculine and feminine... When Simone Weil was elected in 2008, she was only the sixth woman to join the Academy. To date, there have been nine. The first woman was elected in 1980, a staggering 350 years since the Academy had begun. Only nine women sounds very sexist, and they do indeed have quite the sexist reputation. Recently, the Académie Française faced the thorny issue of inclusive writing. Now, just to give you an idea what this is all about, French nouns are either masculine or feminine. I personally find this very difficult and always seem to get things wrong. At one point, I decided to make everything feminine in a one-woman feminist reclamation of the French language. Needless to say, it didn't work. Some words completely change their meaning if you give them a le instead of a la, or vice versa, and the French seem incapable of working out what you might mean if you use the wrong gender. Well, at least my mother-in-law does. Anyway, the masculine always trumps the feminine. So, for example, if there were 999 women in a room and then one man walked in, they would be referred to using masculine grammar. The group would be known as il, the masculine form of they, instead of l. And any adjective such as courageous would be in the masculine plural form. Gender-inclusive language would include both masculine and feminine forms. Although the proposed change would affect mainly written French more than spoken French, the Academy nevertheless found the idea overcomplicated and even went so far as to say that the French language itself finds itself in mortal danger. Many feminists were outraged by this, and the argument continues to this very day. But women are not the only ones left out when it comes to taking up the sword to protect the language of Molière. Molière himself never made it. 
because although members are chosen from amongst the top thinkers of the time, and over the years they've included some of France's greatest literary talents, scientists, doctors, oceanographers, anthropologists and politicians, many key figures have been left out, including Gustave Flaubert, Jean-Paul Sartre, Rousseau, Descartes, Baudelaire, Proust. Balzac was rejected four times, while Emile Zola was rejected an astonishing 24 times, which does make you think, Emile, move on, they don't want you. So many have been left out that there's even expression to bring them to mind. The 41st chair. The chair which doesn't exist, which I suppose they occupy in an alternative reality. But today we're not interested in the phantom of the 41st chair, but rather the haunted 32nd chair. So let's get into it. The mystery started with the 1909 novel by Gaston Leroux. Sometimes a story becomes so well-known that it becomes part of the common legend and lore. In Paris, there are a number of such stories, and you've probably already heard of The Phantom of the Opera from Gaston Leroux's most famous book about a phantom living beneath the opera Garnier. It was, of course, turned into a musical, which did help to spread the story to a wider audience as reading early 20th century French literature is not everyone's cup of tea. Leroux insisted that this story was true, and he certainly wove reality with fiction masterfully in his novel. Maybe one day I'll do an episode about that story. However, today it's the turn of the lesser-known mystery, The Haunted Chair, which is specifically about chair number 32. In Leroux's story, Monsieur d'Aberville, who had occupied this august position of one of the 40 members, dies of natural causes. He's replaced by Monseigneur Mortimer, who, as is tradition, gives a speech in honour of his predecessor to the assembly. Suddenly, in front of the gathered crowd, the newly elected member, in the middle of his very sentence, dies. The baton is then passed to Monsieur Dolnay, who also dies during his inaugural speech. Next, Martin Latouche is chosen to fulfil the role of the increasingly short-lived position of immortal in seat number 32. Although he makes it through the speech, he too is struck down a few days later and dies. Well, by now, no one wants to fill the role, as three people have died of unnatural causes, and so the number 32 remains empty. Of course, the press have a field day and a number of people try to resolve the mystery, including a one Gaspard Lelout, who is a merchant and expert in curiosities. Gaspar harbours a secret dream to enter the academy himself, but since he cannot read, it seems unlikely. However, following these three inexplicable deaths and no one daring to take on the role, he finally gets his chance. He does admit his secret to the brilliantly named Hippolyte Pétard, who is the perpetual secretary of the academy, but it seems that Hippolyte prefers someone rather than no one. Now, illiterate though he may be, Gaspar is no fool, and without spoiling the story, should you wish to read it, Gaspar and Hippolyte get to the bottom of the mystery. Now, maybe because of the name, Immortals, or the beautiful location, or the archaic traditions and clothes, and the general air of mystery, the Academy lends itself to fiction. And although this story is not as widely known as The Phantom, it has inspired other works of art. Nathalie Reims, daughter of Maurice Reims, who occupied chair number 32 for a number of years, wrote a book following his death called The Ghost of Chair Number 32, in which she reveals that her father received a secret manuscript that he had asked his daughter to publish after, after his death so that his last wish might be carried out, that no one would ever again sit in chair number 32. 
and if she managed to do this, he might truly become immortal as a ghost, and I suppose haunt the Academy forevermore. Today the Academy continues as ever, with the only real threat to the Academy, according to some, being the Academy itself. It's accused of being old-fashioned, run by old people, I believe the average age is well over 60, with old-fashioned traditions and an inability to keep up with the times. Could the immortals one day die out? I personally doubt it. As I said from my experience, the French like nothing more than a good debate, especially if it's about language, and I'm sure the Academy will live on and on and on and on. So I do hope to speak to you soon and get some podcasts out more regularly. Um, If you do like the podcast, do tell a friend or feel free to write a review. It fills my heart with joy to hear from you. A special hello to Elizabeth and her family who I met in Paris and they'd come all the way from Australia. So I hope everything went well for you and you got home safely. That's it for now. If you want some more pictures or information or uh, transcripts or anything like that, you can find them on my website or Instagram. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Goodbye.